Welcome back, everyone, to another evening with your host, Mordechai Weinberger and Harav Nissim. Looking forward to taking your questions and comments. The number to call in is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. And you can text your question to 347-927-8398, 347-927-8398. So we're going to start with a couple of questions that we have online and what we got called in, and then we're going to take whatever else comes. So who do we have first? Let's start. Let's jump right into it. Okay. Oh, we have Miss R. Miss R, you're on with Mordechai and Nissim. Yes. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. I'm actually calling from London. Oh, wow. What an Firstly, honor. I want to thank you for your most wonderful telephone line. I think every person, your advice that you give to every person, it was really amazing. Thank you just you. hit the right point. Thank you. That's a pleasure. And, and also honor, your book. Every page and every word, it's just amazing. It's got a thousand meanings. We can't get enough of it. Well, you got me smiling from ear to ear. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Well deserved. I I guess I can also tell you. I read it sometimes to my teenage daughters, you know, the points that are applicable to them. The whole book is applicable, but at some point you just feel it's right for that daughter. And even she's smiling. She feels it's gone into her. Thank you. It's Thank really, you. really amazing. That's right. And the book is and called, now, for those yeah. listening, the book is called Alive, which has just come out about a month ago. And Baruch Hashem, it happens to be a bestseller. Thank you. It is. And I give my full recommendation. And now to my question. I have a daughter of 10 who has a very bad stammer. I always thought that such a type of question is going to come up, but it never did. Now, from your experience, what can you tell me about a stammer? About a what? A stutter. A, a bad stutter. stammer. Sure. <laughs> well, there are several components. There's one component that we all know is the speech component. And that is that you need a speech therapist to help them sometimes formulate the, le- the letters, the words. Um, there's a large component to it, which is also emotional, which is fear. Public speaking, that they might make a mistake. Many times it can also be in the family which is also either they want to call it sometimes genetic, but it as well, it has to do with, um, I like sometimes calling it the subconscious programming, where you're just used to if one spouse, one parent does that, many times the kids follow that as well. The question I think that you're asking more is how do you deal with it or how do you address yeah. it? Can I tell you all that I've done for her? Please. And then, I mean, it's really going on quite a few years. You know, a stammer, one day it's good, one day it's bad, one day it's severe, and the next can be better. Better, it's never better. Her stuff is always there. We've done one brain. We've done speech therapy. We've had social groups in school. I've done cranial. We've done a lot. I mean, obviously, it's on, ongoing speech therapy. And at this point, I'm a bit, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do now. So I thought I'm going to ask you as an you know, an ex- uh, I'm sure you have a lot of experience in therapy. What more you recommend? So it's interesting because you mentioned one brain, which happens to be a fantastic system. Cranial sacral has to be a fantastic system. And then you've also got where well, you've gone through the classical therapy modalities, which is speech therapy. Um, I would just ask a question um, classic. What does she have stress? Is she more emotional? Is there any anxiety in the family? No, there's, there's no anxiety in the family. She is a child who is more scared of things. For example, 
Now after Pisic, there were new teachers who came along, and she was very, very scared of this. Or for example, um, they go to a park, and she's always scared of a ride, and no, even the younger ones are not scared, and she is the one who is scared. Okay, so it's, here are some of my thoughts where it is going to about the emotional component. So while one brain can be very good, it depends on which practitioner does that because many times you can use muscle testing and I should say more muscle circuits. I know that system very well and you don't do any real talking. Speech therapy primarily focuses on the linguistic component of it and the formulating of the words. They also have a component to it, which is doing it publicly, but they're primarily focused on the behavior. I wonder if just a classical therapist of like exposure or just teaching some of the basic relaxing techniques on how to do it. Like the same thing, craniosacral is also a system where you're not really Well, it is a very big, I mean, I'm sure you heard of here in London, Michael Palin Center, that has been for quite a few years already. And now they decided to give it a little bit of a break. I really don't know. Honestly, I think it sounds like you've done everything that I might have suggested. Or even those I wouldn't have suggested, I usually don't recommend alternative therapy on air. But since you've done it all, you've done some very good systems that I happen to appreciate a lot. And you've done classic. I, I really don't have an answer to this one. You don't have an answer. As, as an emotional part, if you, do, if you would reckon it from an emotional part, then what do you... From the emotional part, I would have tried a little bit... Um, it's difficult because I have something in mind, that, but it's not yet that popular, which is really the system that I do, but I have only taught it to one or two other okay. people. But I'm ready it, to hear it. Yeah, no, but it's more about sort of like we have the person tune in, what are your fears? It's more going into the subconscious. Harav Nissen was saying, what about hypnosis? But hypnosis and what people Can think are hypnosis. Can it be done on a child of 10? Say that again? Can a 10-year-old, I mean, she's 10, can I hypnosis... I know, so the issue with hypnosis is that what they have over here, someone on this program on the radio called Dr. Barav, and he does it, but it's mostly, it's mostly relaxation that they do. That's not real deep hypnosis. It's more about inner child work or like going into what are the fears. This, it's unfortunately something I can't really explain over the radio. It's just something yeah, that you got to feel or experience. So um, we're uh-huh. really... Again, doing the one brain system, it depends who they done it or who the practitioner was. There I have, if I can't say if I would know the practitioner, but there are different types of usage in those systems. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer right now. Um, the only one I might recommend a little is EMDR. Although it's meant e? for tr- EMDR. What does that stand for? Um, eye movement, um, it's funny, I'm certified in that, and I don't remember, desensitization. No, 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 what's, what is it? Is it alternative? Why is it? Um, it was marketed very well. It is actually only professionals, they only teach it to licensed professionals, but to anyone that's an alternative, it is sounds so 1,000% alternative. But what this therapist did, the one that did it was, she said she didn't want it to become like hypnosis, that people would just make fun of it, or, or every heebie-jeebie, whoever wants to take the course. They only taught it to master degrees in the mental health field and above. Mm-hmm. So you've got doctors, psychiatrists, um, social workers are the only ones trained in it, and it's great for trauma. It's also great for working on the inner on the inner world, on the inner child that can sometimes use the trauma. Like if she's going to speak, if she will say something that people won't like, if people might laugh at her, you know, the emotional components, it works on it on that level. 
and it's very popular because it it has very quick results for those that have from trauma. I had a client today that I've done various systems and nothing was working, and then we did EMDR and like seven sessions, things were moving. Now, even though I just said things move, I don't do it that much in my private practice. It's used more for different steps. However, if I try several tools and it doesn't work, that's why I always tell people, take courses. Like, you want to have more tools in the toolboxes where you can try different systems if something doesn't work. EMDR might be a system, and it's very popular throughout the world, that you can find it in England as well. Would you think that she would need a therapy? Do you think she would need to talk, it, talk out to somebody? I personally think that is very important, and that's why those that do one brain, usually it's a large part of talking out. I should say it depends on the therapist that does it. But yes, I... No, but I when I went to one brain, I never even took her. They did it all on me. I know, that's, that's my issue with all this alternative stuff. I'm not going to go into that right now. Uh-huh. But I actually have taken the one brain course by the founders, by the two people that made it. And they were not for doing it on all that stuff. We're not going to go into it because it gets into Halachas and Shilas and Rebdal Feinstein holds its Asr. We're not going to go into that right now. But all I will say is, yes, that's why I'm saying she needs to talk to someone. She needs like someone to get it out, actually physically discuss what's her fear. And what can we do to relax the fear? And that's why I was asking if there are any anxieties. Really what I feel is she needs now just try, I don't want to say regular therapy because... I don't know how clear or like you need someone that's experiencing it, but it might be an anxiety. It might be a fear. And by working on that, we'll give her the confidence to be able to speak or to first face the anxiety and the fears of her speaking. One more thing. Is an adult therapist the same as pediatric? Is it the same to people who see adults? I got your question. And the answer is yes and no, which means... The bigger, the greater the field, the more you're able to specialize. So if I would ask you something, would you send your daughter to someone that would see 40 children a week or someone that would see five children a week and also, you know, 30 adults or 10? So there are therapists. The bigger the field, the bigger the firm world is getting, you start, we're starting to be able to have specialists in certain areas. But then again, there are some people that I call them healers. So it's interesting you're asking about, I happen to know a little bit more about speech because now I go in from Lakewood to Brooklyn every day and on the bus we have about four speech therapists. And we usually have like this little conference where they would ask me some, how would you deal with the emotional components to the speech area? So I would say every day I get many questions and I pick their brain. How do you do with it on the speech level? What's the, what's the modality that you would use and what tools do you use? So I know there is a huge emotional component, and the person actually needs to verbalize it and express it. So if you've done all the distant healings, I would say they don't count for the real healing for what she needs to actually express it, to actually heal it, do it, work on it, talk it, work through the process, face it. It's, you can't do, they, I shouldn't say they don't work because for those that find it works, it works, but that working on someone where they're actually expressing it, saying it, facing it, visualizing the changes, taking the action, doing the behavioral practices over and over and seeing the change to someone that's just going to do a distant healing, quote-unquote. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you so much. And I should, I really, I can't thank you enough because I find every question that I hear from you and every answer that I hear from you, every question that's asked from you and every answer that you give has got so much detail I can sometimes listen to the same question and answer even three times. And then you're with me by my dishes and by my washing and all over the house. I just clip the phone onto me and I can just listen again and again. 
I you want know, you know, to know I'm honored, and I think I can hear this compliments over and over. I think I will you know, play this segment a couple of times. I appreciate it. <laughs> and thank it. you, Sir also, and I'm really grateful to you both, I must say. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so hold on a, a second. Nice Rav would like to make a suggestion. Would like to. I, I would say yeah. that uh, I don't know if you understand Hebrew, but uh, definitely we had in the last week a special institute from Israel that basically are specialists in, in uh, stuttering and working on the subconscious. So I don't know if it's an if Shayach, but uh, you can. Uh, you can contact uh, J Root Radio, and we try to give you the numbers uh, from Israel. How do I call J Root Radio? Uh, it's on the no, on the website J-Root Radio, or J Root Radio dot com. Uh, ah, fine. Uh, you, you email us. You can see it on the online, and just uh, or even text us. Fine, fine. I will do that. Okay. I will do that. Thank you so much, Rebnison. Thank you. And thank you for staying you, up so really late grateful. all the way in England at this time. What time is it for you now? Um, now it's one uh, fifteen. No, I knew I had to stay up. And very, very often I wake. I stay up Monday evening anyway, so to just to hear to hear it live. Thank you. It's got a different meaning. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored. Thank you I'm and thank you. Bye bye. Good bye. evening. Good evening. And we have and next Mrs. G. Mrs. Yes, G. Hello? Yes, Mrs. G, you're on with okay. the Yes, hello. Okay, first of all, thank you so much for your book. It's really amazing. Thank you. And I have two questions. Go ahead. Number one, I called in a few shows ago, and we discussed about perfectionism. Okay. I think it was the show that you introduced that you're actually doing a book, an article accepted it. Oh, wow. That, was, that must have been a while ago, about a year ago. Okay, I guess time flies. Yeah. And you recommended, you said there, um, I don't know like, if it's a book change or anything, but you said there, like you would recommend me four chapters to read. Yes. I'm wondering which four chapters you were referring to. So happens to be that, believe it or not, I do not have the book on me, which we usually have an outline. Um, I would first start with chapter number one, building your self-esteem. A large part of perfectionism is when we don't have a healthy, solid self-esteem. means... We think we're good, but we don't feel it. Chapter number two is especially made for perfectionism because it's actually titled Perfectionism versus Making Mistakes. Learning to be able to sort of release mistakes or something like that. And the concept is we illustrate two stories on how it affects you if you're perfect. And there's a story over there about a person, how he won't participate with the children. It's raining and they want to play Pictionary and he won't play because he doesn't know how to draw. And he's all embarrassed of making mistakes versus the other, once he's healthier with making mistakes, how he's playing with them and he's doing this diagram and they're going, what is that? Is it a horse? Is it a rat? And he goes, no, it's like a skateboard. You know, the concept that they're all laughing and enjoying that once he can let go of the fear of making mistakes, you can participate and the kids just had the best time ever with their father. So that would be chapter number one, chapter number two about that. Chapter number three would also be about new beginnings. One of the biggest mistakes or fears that a perfectionist has is being a beginner, being a novice, as it's called, a beginner. Because when you're a beginner, that means you're going to be making mistakes. That means you don't have the security of, oh, I'm good in this field, so I have that self-esteem. And in life, at every stage in our life, we're always at new beginnings. That mm-hmm. means you're going to yeshiva, you're going to yeshiva, you go to besmedrash, you go to besmedrash, you're going to start dating, you're dating, you're getting married, you're getting married, you have children, you're from children, you have, you're getting a job. Each of these are new stages, and there are people that are petrified of new stages. And that's another mm-hmm. point to break the beginner. And then there are 
probably two more chapters I'd even recommend. Chapter number eight is about the slow and steady process. One of the big lies that I call it, and that is that the world is so focused on those people that make the millions in seconds, and we all focus on those people that have made it great. And that's a universal lie. It means the whole world mm-hmm. buys into that lie. And the secret of the slow and steady, we've got several diagrams, the penny doubled theory we have mm-hmm. over there. You just see how reality, it's the slow and steady that succeed, those that are willing to put in the hard work. How Berina if you when we sow, when we do the hard work and we're crying on the hard work, Berina in the morning you're going to wake up smiling. So these are just some of the chapters that I would recommend just how to start breaking perfectionists. Just realize that every single chapter in the book is meant for adults and it's meant for teenagers. And I would say the theme of the book that it breaks is just how we could keep on going. And I should say to break that perfectionist concept. I would say 10 out of 10 of my clients, we need to work on the perfectionist component as well. And it holds us back mm-hmm. in our shalom bias, in improving our shalom bias. It holds us back in, from enjoying our lives. It holds us back from just taking experiences. It holds us back from even having confrontation. We're so f- weak if someone will disagree with us. And a large part of it is from the perfectionist. <gasps> I might really make a mistake. And yeah, the more mistakes you make, the more successful you can be. And we've got several Gemaras in each of those chapters, quoting them, Mepharshim, Eina Baishan Leimad, Yavn Shulchan that tells you that a Talmud supposed to ask a Rebbe as many times as he needs to be able to learn, and, the, and, the, and not the Talmud, the Halacha Paschal, Shulchan Aruch, and says, you're not allowed to get upset at the kid, and if it is, then the child's supposed to say, Rebbe, I'm supposed to learn, you need to teach me. If you're a perfectionist, you won't ask, you won't learn, you won't grow. Make sense? Um... I understand what you're saying, but is it possible that perfectionism shouldn't have to do with self-esteem and with being afraid of making mistakes? Could it be from a different source? Can you give me an idea that you think it might be from? Uh, what we discussed then is that it's very much um, the way you grow up and the way you're taught uh, that everything must be perfect. Sure. Now, what do you think that is taught from? Why, what do you think is missing? If a family is taught to be perfect, what did they, what did they fail to teach you? I don't think it affects the self-esteem. I've never looked at it that way. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. You're gaining now information. Let's go ahead and recognize what happens. How does a family teach someone to do it perfect? What do they do? What do they say? Think about it. What are words that parents would use to a kid if they get a 90 on a test? Come on. Let's not keep it silent over here. <laughs> no, I I don't think that was the point. The point I'm was, asking like you, you a question. Answer the question first. What do you think? But if you don't have a 90, you're not worth anything. Yeah, now notice those words. You're not worth anything. Does that build up someone's self-esteem or does that say you are worthless and the kid hearing these words over and over will affect you? Definitely. Good. What happens if the perfectionist parent and the kid's clothing is a little wrinkled or they got a stain? How would the mother or father react? When the parents are perfectionists. How could you do this? How dare you do it? You know, I just claimed your thing. I warned you 55 times. Don't get it dirty and you got it dirty. Now just stop a second. And what do you think happens to the emotion of such a child? And they're being raised in that household where this is very often. What happens? Mm-hmm. Huh? They don't feel good about themselves. Oh, don't feel good is a, is, a, is a nice, gentle way of doing it. Let's do it a little more. How about they will feel worthless? They will feel fear. 
They will be afraid to make any mistakes. They're going to be surviving on when I'm perfect, I'm safe. But if I'm not perfect, I am vulnerable. I am, I've got room to be attacked. How are they in school? When there are other children that are perfectionists, or they're afraid to share their mark. Mm-hmm. How are they in school when there's a game going on and they don't want to play because they're not the best? Or if they're perfectionists and they have to knock down the other kid, it's not fair, you really cheated, and really they're the ones cheating. What happens to their personality in school and all over? Perfectionists. I understand. I understand. Yes, perfectionists, number one cause. I shouldn't say cause, number one symptom and the healing process is we don't go into blaming why it happens. My main focus is how to heal. For those of you that listen to me long enough, it's not important. I should say it's important the how because we need to know how to heal it. But we're not focusing on the past. We're focusing on let's understand how the problem was created. Now let's focus on on getting out of it. Perfectionists all have, all have a very weak self esteem. All. Cross the board. And the self-esteem shows the, the healthier and the more mistakes you can make, the healthier you are. The more you can laugh at your mistakes, the healthier you are. What if I could make mistakes and I laugh about my mistakes and I have no problem doing changes? Then you're not a perfectionist. No- <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> okay, so. if you, if, let's understand, perfectionists do not make mistakes. They will, hold, they will withhold themselves from doing any tasks because I don't want to make a mistake. They'll only do the five tasks that they're good at. Because they're afraid of making mistakes. That's a perfectionist. The perfectionists are the ones that I would clarify in the book. Those teenagers, when any times when parents go, or I'll even say today, it's not just teenagers, those under 30 that don't have a job yet because they need to make a million dollars at the first job, and we call them lazy, and we call them, you know, too, too stuck up, too proud. It's just the opposite. They are too weak. They're afraid mm-hmm. to take a job and, not make, and make $35,000. Me? I was the best bacher. Me? I was the best girl. How should I take that job? I should start so small when I need to make forty dollars or $50,000. I should take a job of 35000 And the answer is yes. That's how you start like everyone else. Mm-hmm. But perfectionists won't do that. Okay, so I guess maybe I was misdiagnosed. <laughs> well, who was misdiagnosed? I'm thinking, like, maybe I just labeled myself something which something else was the issue. Yeah, I've had recently a client come in, tell me that they self-diagnosed themselves OCD, and once we went through the entire chart, I said, you've got zero. Let's say there are 10 criteria for OCD, you have one out of 10. But anxiety, you've got, let's say, 19 out of 19. So let's mm-hmm. not self-diagnose yourself. If you can make mistakes easily, if you can laugh at mistakes, if you allow people to disagree with you, if you're comfortable with people coming into your house at times that it's not that clean, if you're comfortable that you baked a cake and it didn't work out that well and you can still allow it to happen, if you're comfortable when your children don't do well on the test and you say, okay, Shafula, very good, I'm glad we had a wedding two nights before, so it makes sense, that's what's happening, but we're going to focus a little more the next time. If the teacher isn't that good or you go to PTA and the teacher didn't have the best report, you're not busy telling the teacher, well, if you would be teaching a little better and if you would be focusing a little more and you know how kids, my last year, my kid was so good, I wonder what you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you find yourself just easy and flowing and letting go, then you're definitely not a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, how many of those... At times. What? Everyone has it at times, but I'm saying like the other things that you, that you described didn't really match, I think, so I'll think about it, I guess. Exactly. Fantastic. What will you say you have then? What would you say you have if you're not a perfectionist? Seems like something is bothering you and you're trying to like find out what it is. What 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 behaviors do you have that needs a little bit help that, that you tried assuming you're a perfectionist? Uh, maybe 
maybe it's anxiety. Okay. And let's just clarify a little what anxiety is without giving the diagnosis. Anxiety means that you're always concerned and always worried about everything. Like if you're finally happy about something, and something's going, well, yeah, but what if that doesn't work out? And I'm not giving the classical anxiety because we all have that. I have that as well. You know, I come to the program and wondering, will I be able to answer the questions? Not all. Will there be something that we'll have to remove or delete? Which happens, you know, once in a while. You know, these are questions, these are thoughts, but anxiety is more when it takes over your mind most of the time. When you're thinking of different tasks of your of, of fields that you're doing, I'm concerned, how will that happen? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand. Great. Thank you. Can I ask, okay. can I ask the second short question? Go ahead, let's do it short because we got an entire, an entire sure. dashboard all full. Okay, I'm just wondering, just a, like, not a long answer, just is it possible in the ILA system, I'm just wondering that a person should have a top, like, nine or ten in inspiration or eight or whatever, and he shouldn't really be good in actions and logic? Of course. If you read the entire book, that's very important. Just for those of you listening, I was once being sold life insurance by a life insurance agent, came up with a mathematical equation of sort of like your finances with the time of life and that, and sort of I heard that equation, I go, wow, I bet you if we try that for the, for the brain, if it works, and the mathematical equation works unbelievable. Basically, it's your subconscious times your logic times your action will equal the final number. It's, too, it's a little, not complicated, it's just too time-consuming to discuss on the phone line. I just want people to understand our questions so we won't just be speaking Chinese to them. But basically, the whole point is that's exactly what's happening, that if someone is brilliant in logic and someone is brilliant, let's give them numbers from 1 to 10, a 10 in logic, they're a 10 in action, but inside they feel horrible, it will be, and let's say there is zero, 10 times 10 will be 100, but times zero will be zero. Our subconscious or any one of these components will affect the other one. We could have such a strong motivation. We can have so much action, but you don't know what you're doing and you won't get anywhere. And that's where you have in Perkei Yavis that, that you can't have a chassid, which means someone, Le'amar's chassid, you can't have someone that doesn't know halacha. And for this person to say, I'm doing lifnei mishar sadin. And... The Moses Farm give examples that these people could be so into, wow, you're supposed to take care of a Talmud Chacham that you're going to light a fire on Shabbos to give them light because you don't know halacha. So you're going to try to be great in one area, but if you're lacking in another, exactly the point of the ILA theory and in the book is that you need to be balanced. And if you're high in two areas, then just by raising your number a little, it changes your entire outcome, your entire life in so many other areas. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Hatzlacha. Good, Good evening. Good evening. Mrs. Hello? G. Yes, we got another Mrs. G. You're on with Mordechai and Nisim. Yes. Hi. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Fantastic. Good Baruch Hashem. Um, okay. I, I want to ask you a question about the summer. About, um, okay. So the question is, is that um, as a parent, um, it's healthy to give out children um, an opportunity to go to camp where they could, you know, they could let out a lot of energy and they could be stimulated with different children and I don't know, have different scenarios and all things that they're not able to do as much during the year. But um, at the same time... Let me ask you, can you just speak up a little bit stronger, put a little bit oomph in your question? Basically, okay. I'm hearing that you know that it's important to send, your, to send children to camp or to the bungalow. What are you referring to specifically? Right. No, for camp. Yes. But the thing is that as a parent, um, like, I, I have to work um, during the year to be able to send them to yeshiva and also to camp. But I'm having, um, 
like, is it? But I'm also like between a point where I'm very, very tired. So the question is, me. are you supposed to bend over backwards and kill yourself practically so your kids can go to camp? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, well. Well, this is a little bit personal. This is Imo Yonoichi Bitsara because that is something that we're sending two of my kids to camp. And it happens to be a scary, you know, not talking about how much money I'm making or what I'm making, but the concept of how expensive camps are. They're about $4,000 for a kid to $5,000 a kid. And if you want to send four kids, that's $20,000. That's literally an entire tuition in two months. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we see the growths that they grow. And it's, it's a catch-22 that we have. Now, let's take this to a parenting concept. And that is, what type of an education are we going to be giving our kids when we are run down, we are exhausted, we send them for two months to camp or one month to camp because you'll be dividing how it is that you'll be sending them, but you're going to be exhausted, you're going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. What type? That's my problem. That's, that's right. the thing. Uh, let me tell you one thing. Children will appreciate at all times a happy, healthy parent, and they will make you miserable. Know that it's part of the child's role, not that it's their job, but it's in their role that when they're uncomfortable to complain, and it's us, the parent, that's got to be comfortable to say, I understand you're uncomfortable, you're in pain, but this is right now what the healthy position is. And to recognize that processes change when we, the individual, start saying, I can't do this, or I don't want to, or I'm not doing this, and it does change. Unfortunately, it also goes that way for the negative, where all you need is three people to start doing something, and then you got the entire Mishigas, everyone going after it. So let's understand, will your kids complain? They probably will. Mm-hmm. Will you feel bad? Probably a little bit, because as parents, we always want to give our children everything. On the other hand, to recognize that real chenuch, real educating our children is to say, I can't do this. I once had a person I knew very, very wealthy, let's say at above $10 million, and they had to put a budget on their family. And their budget was that the shopper that we have, we're not paying for their taxi. Let them go by train or whatever it is. We'll let them pay for their own taxi, which means eventually everyone has to create a budget somewhere. So... Those of us that aren't in the millionaire league have this concept that when we'll have money, we'll do everything. And the answer is it's absolutely not true. Even those that have millions of dollars and billions of dollars even, you will see they have a structure, they have a balance. They say this is still more expensive that I won't pay for that or I don't want to pay for that. Everyone has to create a balance, a limit somewhere in their lives. And when we create a limit, our children will complain. So um, let me. Is, let, it, is it not healthy for them though? Like if I like if I say, I don't know. Like I don't want like. I know it's it's good. It's chinuch. You know they know that you know this is reality. This is life. You can't always have everything you want. But then no, no, no. Let's hold on. Let's change that. Listen, listen to your attitude. You're right. going in with the attitude. My children are nebuchs. They can't go to camp. We can't afford it. We're poor. We're broke. They're going to be from those, from those kids with the ragged clothing, with the ripped pants, with those whole shoes. My poor children. There are camps out here in Brooklyn that have got thousands of kids there. It's not a nebuch. Let's wake up. It's society that creates this concept. We, if you can be positive and happy and start going, we've got Sundays when there isn't camp or Sundays when we can go around, we can spend family time together, we can either have a barbecue, we could just go to the park. Do you know what great experiences it is? 
Do you know what a pleasure that is? Let's break this concept. I would like you to look at your children. It's not that we aren't going, that I'm not slaving to send you to camp. You will be just as healthy. You will grow over here in Brooklyn or wherever you live. You will grow. You will make it. Happiness. If you will be home depressed, then that will go from the parents down to the children and they will feel poor. They will feel they're deprived. They look at it, wow, mommy and tati, we've made a choice and told the kids, you know something, I can really take an extra job and pay for camp or I can have that freedom or that space and we can have some great times and be happy, more relaxed. What do you kids want? Mm-hmm. How about kids? Is there anything you guys can do to start earning a little bit? That's a concept we've lost in this generation that for thousands of years there was. I was told that one of my great-grandparents went to work at 14 because the great-grandfather was Nifter. And that was pre-war Europe. It was normal. All of a sudden, the grandfather's Nifter and 14-year-olds went to work. Today, Baruch Hashem, we have such amazing organizations and family members that help out that, that Yosemim and, and, um, and Yosemim are able to stay in yeshiva and we marry them off and all that. But pre-war Europe, you just went to work. Like, it's healthy. I personally have that belief that you see a step even more than sending your kids to camp is how about tell them how about you guys get a job in camp? How about I said it? I said I did say that. That's right, and that will be the best. Them, no, but one of them said, "Like, why should I?" The other kids. That's that's it. Now, what would be the working. answer to that? Now, notice what the answer is. Oh, so you want me to work? Right. You want me to do all that? And but that's one concept. The next concept is really to recognize that it's healthy for kids to work. Give them jobs. Ravnissen, this is, I'm sure you've got on this topic. <laughs> this seems like a topic for you here. It's, it's really amazing that what kind of kids we, right now, what the generation today, I remember myself when I was belong to a, a wealthy family, you know, and I, I used to go to work in the summer it was very uh, well, you know, common that we was working either in the camps, either uh, defined. We we had in Israel a system that uh, no Oved, and basically before the summer you apply like you know use um, uh, corp today here in in uh, New York, and uh, this is like it's it's regular. And I think my kids also my kids. I told my kids, you know, listen, you can find yourself a small job and uh, Hashem, there's, we have, you have, you have, we have used co-op here and some kind of jobs in the camps you know and they enjoy it and they feel that they're doing something and I think it's very very important to, to show the kids that they, they earn something because we come to this world Akadosh Baruch Hu didn't give us as a you know f- a, a present one of the jobs that we have is to work hard to earning you know, this is the, the Ramchal said, and almost all, every every the Musar book said that we come here to work because the Kadosh Baruch Hu didn't want to give us a free present. If he want to give us free present, we, we but we don't enjoy the, the the our amal, I'm a work about it. And I think that if the kids understand that the finance situation in the house, and I tell you, I for with my kids, I always open with them. Listen, I can afford it. I cannot afford it. It's too much. Yes, no much. You know. And you have another brother or another sister, something that kids has to understand today that it's nothing is for free. And if you want to see me home a little bit more, so give me a break and uh, be considered that you can use your own own money that you get. And I think this is very important to the kids to understand the situation. Yeah. Does that help you out? 
It helps me, but but also the way the system is is that you have to pay for your child to work in camp. Like all the sleepaway camps, you also have to take out of money. Well, there out of are your camps that are much cheaper, or they will pay you, or they will at least have you go. Even it depends which camps. Not all camps. Some camps. Let's apply mm-hmm. to those camps that actually pay you. Or they can take a lifeguarding job, which you get paid different things, so she's not a counselor. But there are jobs available, camps. I look at, you see in the newspapers in the back, looking camp, bungalow colony looking for stuff. There's always jobs available. Mm-hmm. There are places. Let's get them involved. Which and again, if they choose not to, then that's their choice. Okay, so you don't want to go to camp. No problem. Or you don't want to. But you, wanna... don't, but you, want them, you don't want them to be not doing anything. That's the thing. Then you, you got don't want them camp. to have time on their hands. Then you got Brooklyn. My issue is, just work with me, is just your tone. Your tone is sounding, oh, I need your tone like, ah. Do you notice the difference? Right. Right. How old the kids? How old the kids? I'm sorry. How old the kids? No, different ages. I have um, 17, 14, 10, and 7. The seven and fourteen definitely uh, uh, as to to see. I tell you the truth. In our our school system, they mandatory mandatory the kids to go to the certain camps, sleep away, and I cannot even refuse it. So what I did that the kids went to work over there, and we arranged some some job for the kids. Thank you for your question. Appreciate yes, it. And you. hopefully it helped you out. I'm just going to take thank one you. text that we got over here of this, and you generally would take the callers. But this one is someone saying, I'm going to a therapist for the first time. I'm nervous because there's so much going on in my life. I need to work through, but I don't know where to start. Can you help me? I'm not going to read the second part of your question because it's not that appropriate. But to this part, I will go. And the answer is let's lower your expectation of therapy. It's almost like you're going to a therapist and you're expecting this magic pill. You'll say everything and they'll get everything. No. It could take you three, four sessions just getting everything out, working through an identification, what targets you're going to start with, what behaviors you're going to want to help, maybe change some concepts. It could even be a while. Just look at it as someplace you're just opening up. You're just getting to connect. You're just getting to meet the person. You're going to you don't even open up at first everything. Slowly build a trust. And with every step at a time, as you get there, with every step, you'll feel more confident and easier. All right. Let's go and who is the next one that we've got on? Mrs. S. Mrs. S. You're on with Mordechai and Nisim. Is that me? Yes. I hope oh. you're Mrs. S. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Are you Mrs. Yes. S. or Ms. S.? Mrs. S. Mrs. Yeah, Mrs. S. Okay, that's yes. fine. Okay, first, thank you so much for the phone line and for the radio show. I really enjoy every single answer. It's amazing how you take each answer and you answer it so good and so beautifully. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I was wondering if, does a teacher have the same effect on a child as a mother does? That's a difficult one. Are they supposed to have the same effect? I hope not. (laughs) Exactly. So let's, let's maybe phrase the question, do teachers have a strong effect on children? And the answer is definitely yes. Do parents have a strong, a stronger effect on children? Yes. Now, let's do it the other way. Can, unfortunately, a, an unhealthy teacher or Rebbe have a very strong negative effect on a child and can ruin them? Yes. Can a, <laughs> hold on, can a Baruch Hashem, a very healthy, great Rebbe and a great teacher have a positive effect on a student that even though the parents are unhealthy, that that will change that student's life? Absolutely yes. Uh-huh. Okay, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I see. So if a child has a teacher who like, is a perfectionist, 
can that like get her to be a perfectionist or have a like Sort of such a type of nature. Before we're busy with a teacher being a perfectionist, I would first take it to the parents. Which you or your husband are perfectionists before we blame it on the teacher? Yeah, uh, and we got our answer just from that laugh. The teachers, the schools might reinforce it, but most of the time the actual shirish comes from us. And I heard, I'm not going to say which Rosh Hashiva, but I heard once from Rosh Hashiva say, Let's not blame the rebbeim for 100% of the problems. Let's just give them 97%. But could sometimes the parents take 3% of the issue? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's good. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's more what I would focus on. All right. Uh, can I ask another question? Go ahead. That was a very quick one. So okay, sure. thank you so much. Um, how would you deal as a nursery teacher with a girl who has no problem hurting other girls at any time, like pulling their hair and... That is a behavioral question. That's again, that's I've got the parenting workshop that we're actually going through that now. But it's a skills based how you how you do it. What's the pre speech? How you create the behavior? How you discuss ahead of time? You don't talk about stopping to fight or not to pull here. Not pulling here. You teach them how to behavioral, how to shake hands or how to do things appropriate. It's right. not appropriate. It's it's a behavioral question that you've just asked. That's right. okay. Okay. in the summer. I plan on doing a workshop for teachers and for Rebbeim. Oh, you know, but nice. then mm -hmm. it will be the same thing for preschool teachers and all that. But it's, again, a behavior is very similar to the parenting concept, but geared for schools. And right. part of the bullying issue will be very focused. It will be an entire day or at least an hour, hour and a half focused to bullying because I feel the teachers or obeying principals need Neither. some more mm -hmm. skills for that. Yeah. Right, I agree. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, you helped me with that answer anyway, so thank you so much. You're very welcome. All right. All right. I'm going to take it. over here just another because it's positive. So I enjoy positives over here. Hi, Rabbi Weimarger. Thank you so much for your book. I can't wait. To, I couldn't wait to buy it. And now I can't stop reading it. It helps me so much with so many ways. And also how to say no to people in a nice way helps me so much. And I just would like to share this a little. Um, we're not going to take your question. We'll just take the positive, And that is if we have such a guilt like that mother had about camp, I'm not sending my kids to camp and it's such a negative one of the ways that we change the focus of no to a yes and we can feel easy about it is what are you giving the kids? You're giving the kids a happy home, and that is what's important. We're able to give them what they need. So if we could look at it that way, then we will see a huge concept. All right, let's go ahead and take just one second over here because this is a nice controversial text. We're not in pre-war Europe, and yes, times are different and kids are not working. Camp is extremely important and working young doesn't exist. And I want to disagree with you on every level of everything that you've just said. Kids do get jobs in camp. There are waiters in camp. There are counselors in camp. And there are, and schools do work with you. And here, and that's just my opinion. And yes, you could if you speak to the school teachers. Here's another, here's a comment that we have. This question about camp is really, is real for me. My parents, Baruch Hashem, made two chasnas this past year and told me and my sister that camp was out of their budget. I spent the summer feeling so accomplished with my job and I must admit that I vote work over camp. It feels great as a teen. That is the same old story. I don't know what to tell you, but there are day camps over here just in Brooklyn. You have Chaim day camp. I was a division head over there. You've got the Varetsky day camp. You've got hundreds of kids in these day camps. Counselors are all teenagers. 
Waiters are all teenagers. There's jobs all over, and it does exist today. And yeshivas will work. And I know in camp, I've worked with several of my clients where they've got teenagers putting away the svarim so they could get a job. They're helping out in different places. There's youth corp, and because we're doing it legal, they have one person be in charge of doing shachras, whatever the little roles should be. But yes, there is. Do you know who says that there aren't jobs out there? Those that we spoil our kid and we don't give them any tasks. For an example, do you know today they say it's so hard getting girls to babysit? What happened to having a girl make eight to eight, ten dollars an hour so babysitting? Eight dollars, I don't understand. That's right. <laughs> We're talking about a fifteen year old girl and they start going, I don't want to work, it's so little money. What will I do with eight dollars? Well, eight dollars times three hours. Do the math times four days. Do the math and now they'll help out. They can buy themselves stuff. They can learn to save and they'll have more money. Yes, we are the ones that's stopping it, but the jobs are out there in the from system, in the yeshivas. They're willing to help you. We got to ask. We've got to be aware that it's needed. Um, okay, let's go take a question. Who do we have? Miss B, you're on with Mordechai Anissim. Hello, I'd just like to make a comment. Thank you so much. Keep up your good work. It helps millions and thousands of people. I'm an anxious child who takes medication. I would like to thank you for your phone line, share number 44, about medicine. I take it very willingly since I understand how medication helps a human being function better. Thank you again. Wow, hold on. Are you willing to say something? Are you willing to answer? Okay. Well, let's just put it that way. On my phone line, and that is a very important program. We should really have it over here, and that's the mind with medication, where I explain about vitamins, how important it is, but I also explain how the brain sometimes can use medication. It's not a problem. I look at it as a WD-40. Once you get the hinges moving, the brain starts opening up from the years of stress or the years of luck. For those that need to take it, you see a change, what goes on in your life. And you sound like a pretty young person to do that in the way you've done it. I am so happy, proud. Thank you for that. But then again, for those that don't need medication, no, unfortunately, that's also overprescribed when people are going on medication first without even going to therapy. There's a process. First, there's the coaching. Try to work with the person. Have the school, the Rebbe, the teacher work with them. If that doesn't work, then you try a therapy. If that doesn't work, that's when you start with the medication. Unfortunately, sometimes the schools go straight because they tried and they weren't successful. They go straight to medication. And there's really a process that needs to be that I find needs to have needs to happen. Um, one more comment over here. I wanted to go for a second half to camp. I paid for it and it was worth it. It taught me the value of money. Definitely. Thank you. We have Miss E. Ms. E. You're on with Mordechai and Nisim. Hi. Hello. Um uh, it was my birthday and um and and I'm six and my cousin bought me a present and I didn't really like my present but I didn't um want it for for um for make make her um feel bad. Good. So you had a birthday and you really didn't want the present that your cousin got you but you don't want make you don't want to make them feel bad. That makes okay. sense. So, what is your question? 
I'm I'm really sad. That's so nice to even know the emotion. And you're sad about what? Are you sad that you didn't get what you wanted? Yeah. Yeah, great. Now, what would happen if you could tell your cousin, I really, really like the present that you got me? Would you be happier if I always had something, and I always had a different toy that I wanted to look at? Would you want me? Is it okay with you if we exchange it to something that I really want? But I like this. You want to start with I'm happy with this. But I would like something better. How do you think that would help? She was so happy to give it to me. I didn't want to make her feel bad. Okay. So let me tell you something. It's a huge schuss when we make someone feel good. Hashem gives us a lot of mitzvahs for that. Thank you for calling Thank in. Thank you. You're so welcome. It's a beautiful midah. Then, Merit Hashem, we should have a lot more people learning how just to think about the other person's feeling and just take it and stop thinking about we want something better and appreciate that we got something. How many of us don't get anything for our birthday? And when someone gives us a gift, let's stop thinking about the gift as it's a gift that I will now benefit from. A gift is just saying, I love you saying I thought about you, and not only did I think about you and do I love you with words and with my heart, I'm even putting an action to it. I'm spending my money and I'm putting something over there. So let's think less of gifts as an I need to have it and I need to enjoy it and more just a token of exchanging, of love, of caring, that you value me and I value you. Harav Nissen, who do we have next? Very good, Happy. Very good. Hello? <laughs> Whoops. Harvnissen, who do we have next? Mrs. M. Mrs. M. Mrs. M, you're on with Mordechai and Nissim. Hi. Yes. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for your line. I really enjoy it, and I appreciate it. Thank you. And I feel helped, and a lot of people have questions, but I hope with the time I'll get answers. Okay, so now my question is as follows. I want to know if I should trust my therapist. And if yes, how should I feel comfortable doing what she's telling me to do? I have, a, I have a hard time with that question because I'm a therapist. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever told a client what to do. Um, yeah, you'll hear my question. You'll understand what my question is. Let me ask you. The way your question sounds, it sounds like a, like a hollow thing. It's not coming out clear. Are you on a, a certain phone or something? Or can no. you speak more into the phone? Now it's better? No. Mm. I don't know why. Are you on speaker? No, not at all. Oh. Okay, so let's go ahead. Let's hear it. Let's... Mm-hmm. All right. My husband is a very controlling person. And in all areas, he had... Hold on. Before text. we go there, I just need to make a request. Please recognize you're asking a question. People might recognize your voice, and we will not be removing questions. Okay. You, un- you understand what I'm saying? I think I, I... You know what? I decided I want to do it. I'm desperate. Okay. Very good. That's a choice. He has, like, crazy emotional issues. He cries a lot. Huge issues. So we went for help, and they told us both to go for therapy. Yes. Individual therapy. Yes. And that I, sounds like something I would do as, a, as an evaluator as well. Yes. All right. But you know what? I would love to get therapy for myself and to be guided on how to take care of my issues and, you know, together with my husband and how to take care of, you know, how to take care of myself and how to not get affected by it. But I don't like the idea that because I'm in it, I have to take care of my past now. I don't want. 
I don't understand why she's telling me to do that. I'm a healthy person. I'm comfortable. And I... What is your say on this? All right, let me me share with you a concept. You'll understand why we need to bring up the past. And and let's understand that. The muscle that I give is, imagine a drain, uh, a shower. And you know sometimes when we take showers, there's hair that it clogs up the, the drain. Now, what happens if your drain got clogged and now you don't use that shower for 20 years, but you never unclogged it? Now you're going to turn on the water again. What will happen? Will you say 20 years has passed, so now the water is going to go through, or will the same clog over there block you? Of course, it's going to block. Excellent. Now let me explain to you. When there is an abusive situation, and this is what we call the diagnosis codependent, it's not a real diagnosis, but it's a concept. And what codependence means is that I will try to make the situation, I will try to better the situation. So let's assume your husband's got emotional help. If you did not have clogs from your past on your husband's behavior, you would react one way. So people from a healthy past, we have parents that support you, parents that have taught you how to say yes and no, parents that have taught you, or a family structure where you're able to defend yourself, you're able to learn how to walk away from certain situations, you will react one way to your husband. But being that you might have come from a little dysfunction in the past, you have a mm-hmm. certain way of thinking that you're not even aware that your thinking is part of the situation. So therefore, in order to change what the therapist has to help you recognize is this didn't start with your husband. Yes, it got exacerbated by your husband. It got worse. And now you're in more of a leader role than when you're in your childhood. But your ways of thinking is part of what's keeping this situation going. So we never blame a spouse on an addict. But we do say that as long as the spouse didn't go for help, she's continuing to fuel the addiction or the issues that's going on. When we learn to break that cycle, we learn how to have, how not to continue supporting whatever's going on. Those that are in the situation know exactly what I'm talking about. Those that aren't, this might help you a little. I understand, but I would love she should guide me and how to not do it. Like, That's not, not impossible. So let me let me ask you a question. So I am going to guide you how to ride a bike. Can you ride a learn to ride a two wheeler without actually um, feeling on it, experiencing it? No. Let me ask something. Can you actually change your way of thinking without identifying where you got the thoughts? No. You're going to fall into traps. We need you to understand the entire process. That is one of the big fights between coaching and, and, and therapy. Coaching only focuses on the present and on the future. And it is important to focus on present and future. And that's called behavioral therapy. That's ABA. However, statistics show that when you just talk about the now and the future, and you're not identifying the past, you're not identifying the triggers, what happens is that people say, I know what to do, I just can't do it. And I know my husband's acting a certain way, and I should stay calm, but I'm not able to do it. And you taught me when he says ABC, but what happens when he says EFG? Right, I when, understand. And that's why we need to go into the main part. We need you to identify that emotion, where it got, where you were taught, or where certain assertive lessons were missing, or where certain connections you make to that to your to your husband, which needs to be a little bit, I shouldn't say severed, like detached, but it's got to be on a healthy level. We've got to have a certain faucet 
dial that we can open and close it and sometimes have halfway open. People that are codependent feel everything that their spouse does. They're not able to say the yes or the no. Even if they say no, they still eat themselves up. And that can only be done if you also deal with the past. So you'll recognize that your therapist is not only talking about the past. It's part of the process. Uh, you think someone can have codependence caused by your past? And it should be only between her and her spouse? Absolutely not. not. Absolutely not, but you'll see it mostly there. And part of the job, what the therapist does is we need to help you recognize where you're codependent in other areas. So you'll see in your job where you'll be spending more time than the other workers, or you'll put in a better effort, or you'll be afraid of getting shout out or getting uh, negative feedback more than others. You will see that you are codependent in other areas, and that's part of the therapeutic process. Makes sense. I am for sure codependent. That's right. And understand, breaking codependence can be several months to even several years, a year or two to break out of it. And Mm -hmm. the more codependent you are, the more abuse you've taken before you even searched for help. That means the more your marriage is, is in that negative pattern that it's harder to change because you're so stuck in the pattern, your husband was so in the pattern, and now changing that, we need to change two people. And that takes a process. That takes time. But I, I feel that I'm, I'm so smart that I can just change. I know. Excellent. <laughs> if you could, then you wouldn't have been in this situation. Now, I'd like you to no, recognize... No, because, because I'm, until I realized... No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. That's your denial. That's your denial. If someone would have told you they're married for six months, their spouse did what your husband was doing to you, what would you have told them when you were just six months married? And you did not listen to any of the information you would have given the other person. Don't confuse knowledge... Logic, that's what we had before, the ILA formula that I have in my book. There is a subconscious brain. It's called the limbic system. We've got the cortex, which is the thinking logic part of the brain. They're different parts of the brain. And then you've got the putamin part of the brain, which is the subconscious repetition, which is the action. There are different parts of the brain. Logically, you are smart, mature. The therapist is not trying to, adi- is not trying to deal with your logic. You know what to do. We're trying to deal with your emotions where you're stuck in the pattern, where you might know... You think I'm in denial when I say that I can just change. Of course. Why do you need a therapist? Let me ask you something. Think, just write down on the paper the behaviors your husband does, how you're not going to do it, and then stop. That simple. Let me ask you this question. My wife, um, and, and this isn't true, but let's just give an example. Let's say my wife doesn't wake up in the morning, and I have to wake her up because otherwise she won't go to work. What should I do? Now I know you should let her Not now, come on. Okay, I'll ask you a different question. Um, my, My wife yells a lot. Now, this isn't true, okay? But my wife yells a lot. What should I do? Should I try to calm down the whole house so he shouldn't have to yell so she shouldn't yell? Come on, logically, don't tell me now. You're smart. You said you're so smart logically. Every person knows that. Come I on. Used to, I used to make sure that I That's cool denial. Down, so that's denial. That Let me ask you a question. I consider myself a pretty good therapist, okay? Mm-hmm. I have so much knowledge. Listen to all the questions that I ask. Don't you think that if I have a problem, I can answer my own questions? Why do I go for therapy every week to another therapist? Let's break the I denial. Can't. You cannot, if it's your problem, you're blind. And the more emotionally charged you are and the harder the situation is, you're blind. That's called denial. 
And the Rabbi Shalom made it that way. This way we can be normal. This way we can survive. But we need another person to help us out. I get some of these questions where people go, oh, but what did they do in the Musr movement? In the Musr movement, they actually had a Rebbe that was special for Musr and told you what to do. And specifically told you, you're in denial and you got to work on this media, even though you think you got to work on that media, because we are in denial and we are blocked. Right. You see, every time I go for therapy, I come home disappointed because I spend my money and I... And I'm busy arguing, and then I think that I'm going That's to denial. Do it, and I'm going That's to do denial. It. You want to have the simple, just tell me ABC what to do, and it'll be done. Many, right. times, what I t- many times what I tell clients is, you know what, I'll tell you what to do. Just say no. But I can't. Or, mm-hmm. But if he'll do that, okay. So now what's your question? So I'm in denial, and before I get out of denial, what should I do? Because... I get there and I don't do That's it. That's again your control. Notice how you want to control saying, okay, so I have the problem. Now tell me what to do. You're not going through the process. The process of denial is you're going to be another year in denial. Let me ask you another question. I want to have $2 million right now. Please. I just want it right now. I know I don't have it. I just want it. That's your question. How does that sound to you? Not realistic. Yeah. But I just want it. But it's, I need the money now. I want to buy a huge mansion. I need it right now. So you say that it's fine that I get there and I discuss it with you. This is what you're telling me now. Oh, wait. I, I Just help me how we just went from one to another. You're just saying something else. Please clarify yeah, what you mean. Yeah, because I told you that I'm getting there and I'm in denial. What should I do? So you told, like, the, because I'm, I'm in denial, I'm arguing with her, right? Well, right. Mm-hmm. So you told me, so, of course, you're controlling now. You want to get out of denial. So... We're, we're, we're going, I, I am not getting you that clear, so let's just be clear. What do you mean to say? No, I understood I, I from you that it's normal for me to argue with my therapist. And I'd like to change the word argue because I find it very stressful. We need to argue with our clients. It's more an awareness base. So what I call it is I call it pre-therapy. Getting out of a denial, I call that the pre-therapy process. It could sometimes take six months to a year for you to recognize what is your problem. In other words, if you're focusing that you're a victim, do you know the high statistics of women that were victimized, that they go into more victimized situations? means your husband might be one situation, but you're going to have the same thing at work, and you're going to have it five years from now. You're going to have you're going to be marrying off children, and the mechatanim are going to be taking advantage of you. You are a victim waiting to happen. Mm. Now, we're not excusing your husband's behavior. Please be very clear. Absolutely on no circumstance, on, on, no, on, on no certain terms are we saying your husband is okay his behaviors what we are saying is you also need work to be able to stop the pattern that's happening in your life codependent people find a pattern and that's what we spend several sessions for you to be aware that your husband might have his issues but you have yours and you're a victim waiting to happen you know sometimes they have like those rude those nasty games that kids sometimes put like a little tag on the kid's back say kick me or something like that on your on your back, it says <laughs> victimize me. It I says take it. advantage of me. I get it. And you're busy going, just tell me how to stop it. The answer is it's not a tool how to stop it. It's about recognizing what are your fears to stand up for yourself. What are your fears to actually take time on your own? There are so many common denominators all over. I've got an entire program on the phone line about victimization about being codependent but I've got on my book, the book that came out called Alive, A 10-Step Guide to a Vibrant Life by your host, Mordechai Weinberger Um, but we have over there how to say no with love, how to be able to be a leader versus a dictator, 
Those are all chapters that are meant to be there, especially in chapter 8 about slow and steady. Give yourself... I feel, I feel that in regular life, between my friends and between family, even by like people who want to use me and abuse me, I, I'm very assertive right now to be, and I have to say a regular no, and... Yep, you are classic what I have with clients while we're in the pre-therapy stage, and we'll help you identify. So you could say no 80% of the time. Let's talk about the 20% where you can't. And once we start focusing on the 20% where you can't, we see how where you're saying no is on the smaller things, very small, or on the real huge things where you're choked. But you'll see that in that mostly middle ground, that 80% of life, boy, are you being taken advantage of. I think most people are codependent. I agree with you. I say the two number one diagnoses in our firm world. Number one is perfectionist and number two is codependent. I agree with you. And that's why my book is a number one bestseller. I deal with, I'm breaking the two number one issues that are out there. So now that you know you're in good hands, and so was I, I went for years of therapy and codependence on that issue. Yeah. But you you can break out of it. You can change. Go ahead. Just continue the process. We're not blaming you, Chas Vashon. Right. Just work on it. And we're not excusing your husband's behavior. He needs therapy and he needs work. But one thing I can tell you, when husbands have major issues, the stronger the wives get, the, mm-hmm. somehow this is so far 100, I shouldn't say 100, I'll say 90% of the time the husbands had major changes. Unfortunately, not always did it work out for the better. I've been involved in cases, I've seen cases where the couple got divorced. But mm-hmm. most cases, the couple works it out because it's from a healthy place. Mm-hmm. But just go through the process. The goal that you would like to recognize is where are my weaknesses that have nothing to do with my husband, that I am weak, where are places that this theme is happening over and over? What are my fears that even if I, I tell... I think that also why I don't want is because I feel, you see, he did such crazy things and we're focusing on me now. Just, you understand? Yes, which means you might feel blamed. A little, yeah. That's right. And that's what we help of you. What I help in the clients is we're not blaming you. Imagine the concept of the subconscious is that we are a magnet inside. If we are missing certain information like how to be strong, then people are going to be magnet. We're going to attract people that will be taking advantage of us. And the Rabbi Shalom does it. It's a favor. Why? Because we're meant to grow. So the Rabbi Shalom says, okay, you didn't get the lesson in first grade, I'll give it to you in third grade. You didn't get it in third grade, I'll give it to you in sixth grade. You didn't get it in sixth grade, I'll give it to you when you get older. Okay, you didn't get it in your marriage, so you'll get it at your work. You got it at your work, you'll get it from a brother-in-law or a neighbor. We all have these people that will take us beyond our limits. And it's our job to learn to keep on growing. So the Rabbi Shalom will send us every Nisoyen, no matter what and where we are, everyone goes through this process in life. All right. Thank you. You're very welcome, and you're very brave. And let me tell you, keep on the growth process. You will see that, Mertzshem, once you can gain the information of break that codependent cycle, how you've got the rest of your life, doors are open. You feel safe to be who you are. You feel safe to make mistakes. You feel safe to identify those people and know how to just not even get involved in those relationships. You'll smell it a mile away. All right. Thank you. Certainly. Bye. You're welcome. Ms. R, you're on with Mordechai and Nisim. What do you say about that, Nisim? Because that's a huge issue. It's, it's a big issue, and I would say that, uh, you know, I, I tell myself all the time, I cannot change nobody. The only one that I can change is myself. And by changing myself, hopefully, somebody around me will be changed. 
You know, this is like the thing that uh, people thinking, oh, I changed my husband, I changed my wife, I changed my, you know, my friend. He cannot. Just yes, I think that you will change yourself and for the better, and then could be the see the result. Miss R. Beautiful, yes. Ms. R, you're on with Mordechai. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I have a sister, like people call her off. Like the outside people. I really like look up to her. And this, and she always like yells. <laughs> she's always yelling and screaming at us. And like my siblings and me. And she lets her, all our stress out on us. And then like, and then I get stressed. Like how can I deal with that? Well, whoa, that is like a huge, that's, whoa, that's a lot. Whoa, I, I feel overwhelmed, actually. Do you know why I feel so overwhelmed? No. All right, because part of what kids got to have is a safety place at home where the parents are able to create a safe environment. But many times when kids are off the derech, what that means is that the parents might have skills and tools for all the children except this one child, and now they're not able to deal with them or work out with them, which now leaves the rest of the family vulnerable with, 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 with what's happening by you. At the same time, saying no and please stop doesn't always work because the children at risk have huge pain in them. So telling them stop what you're doing is also, is also very hard to create the boundary. Talking to them, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So really to this question, what I would maybe recommend is sort of trying to talk to this, you said it's a sister? Yeah. To sort of talk to your sister and say, you know something, I really want to like you, but when you yell at me, I get very hurt and I get upset. What can we do that you don't yell at me? Open, direct. What do you think would happen if you do that? Hmm? She'd like slow down a little and she'd stop. You think she'd stop? So try that. Recognize that if you yell at her or if you fight back, it will only make a matters worse because this sister is feeling everyone is against her. She might even feel the whole family is against her. So you might even ask her, can we do something together? Like, what can we do together? What can we just enjoy? Can we color together? Something simple as that. Take even a simple coloring book and each of you just color a page. Just doing little things together and tell her, you know, when you yell, it gets me nervous. And your sister might say, but I'm in so much pain. And then go, okay, well, you know, what can we do that you shouldn't be in pain? Or what can we do if you're in pain that you won't let it out at us or a brother and sister? Sometimes what also happens is we want to defend our parents. So we start becoming that teacher, the Rebbe, the Mashgiach to our sister that doesn't behave. Like, oh, now you got mommy angry. Or you, oh, whenever you come home, there's always a fight. And then that puts gasoline on a fire. Sakyu, there anything that you can do to start connecting with her on a friendly level to say, let's not fight. What can we do that we shouldn't fight? Is there anything I can do to make your stay comfortable at home that, or at least with me, that you won't yell at me? Do you notice how we're taking it to you a little and how you're trying yeah. to make a peaceful um, level? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, Harav Nisan, what? Is how the parents uh, see that you come close to your sister? I mean, how will the parents react? Many times parents will get scared that you will go off. And many times parents will maybe feel safe. Maybe parents need to also hear that 
that kids usually do not go off if there's a connection. They go off if there's a lot of pain. We can't accept that a sister or a brother isn't from for whatever reason. We all have relatives that we know that we know this is where they are, but we don't have to follow. When you've got other siblings following going off, it's when there's a lot of pain, when there's a lot of tension, and they aren't successful in the yeshiva school system, or they're not feeling a success, a success at home. Yeah. I know many, many cases that the parents keep the kids in the house, give them love and warmth, and it didn't affect other children. Besides, the opposite was the other children become more stronger and see the differences. And I tell the older parents, keep your children inside the house, keep their attention, try to listen to the children. It's very important. Don't push them outside. Yeah, yes, yes. Beautiful. Harv Nissen, who do we have on the line? Ms. R, you're on with Mordechai and Nissen. Yes, hi. Um, I, firstly, on the camp topic, um, I went to camp for quite a number of years as a camper and as a staff member. Um, personally, I enjoyed more the years that I went as a staff member. I felt, I felt, I really enjoyed it as a camp, as a camper, but I, I really enjoyed even more the, the years as a staff member. I felt like it was a different kind of experience other than being like a student, student, student. It was. I agree with you. I loved it. I loved those, the camp. I enjoyed the color war, the competition. I personally can't understand why somebody wouldn't want to go as a staff member. I think it's a lot more fun. I agree. I the up late at nights, the staying together, having, you know, just schmoozing, having the head counselor pushing, being exhausted, stories, this, that. Also having the upper hand also. I exactly. A, a leadership position changes us. That little bit of being the upper hand, being the one in charge, seeing what it means to run. To, I, I agree. I think one of the so best. I, I don't understand why somebody would want to even try to go as a staff member. It's, it's a very different experience as a yep. camp member, as a camper. You got it. Um, here's a question. Um, I was just wondering. I watched today um, a child who was pushed in the playground. I think a two-year-old. I was just wondering if, like, what, what, what is, what is, it, where is it coming from? Um, he was pushed a giraffe. He started crying, he almost stopped, I mean, he s- controlled himself from breathing, and he fainted. Yep, that's actually so normal. The teacher the teacher just got up and was really calm, I'm like, okay, this has to be something, the teacher, it, they know about it, it's, yes. the kid, it's they said, she said it's behavioral. It's, yes, it's not that uncommon, doctors know about it, parents know about it, there are kids that when yeah, they so cry they, too they, much. Everyone, they, they know about it, but... To such extreme extent that she said it used to happen every few minutes. Like, but where is it coming from? Like, why? What is it? I want to understand why it's why why is it that he's not he's not expressing himself and just. It's very simple. Think. Children learn whatever gets whatever we can use to control the parents. Whatever works that we get our way, we follow and we repeat it. And many times, many times, I don't want to say it's the only reason, many times children would use that scare tactic of fainting or almost fainting, and if the parents come running, then they continue to do that process. That's part of what we teach in the... So the, the teacher only went after, you know, she just, like, went because she didn't know if he was, you know, she just had to make sure he's okay. And, that's right, and that's right. And when that happens off a couple of times, the children usually will stop that. They'll see it didn't work. I didn't get away with it. But it's like a normal, I, I was like 
so shocked. I, yes, I, children I will do. do not everyone can get them to that. Not can get themselves to that level, but children will do anything that will get them to get the attention that they need. Even going off the derech. That's that's. They're basically asking for help. Kids going so off the derech so is the same thing. What's there to do in such a such a scenario? Like. Well, for two-year-olds, it's different. Two-year-olds are different where you just let it happen, and then you sort of prepare with them, or calmly, and they're starting to get themselves to faint and tremble. You go, no, stop. Don't do that. Calmly be the assertive parent over and over. Again, you want the parenting skills for someone under the age of eight, nine. We don't do it. I'm just giving you the concepts that if you're not concerned, and if you're safe and you're able to do it, then you can just chill out. Because, like, I've heard of, like, you know, reacting to different situations, but it it wasn't even... Okay, we got it. We got you, and we understand you. Thank you. Appreciate (laughs) it. Thank you so much for taking my call. Good luck. Yep, excellent. All right, Nissen, who do we got next? Uh Uh-huh. Mrs. H, you're on. Hello? Yes. Yeah, hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Thanks for your show. I really gained very much from it, and I recommend all my friends to listen to you. I Thank think you. you are creating better people. Ah, uh, what a schus. And as I always say, it should be a schus for my father's neshama to, to help. Yeah, it's definitely a big chesed. Okay, so it should be your schus. And uh, to my question, I have a son. He's eight years old. I know usually you don't take questions only above the height of nine, but this is definitely, definitely not a parenting question. He is kind of a little shit. He is Bukhashem a top child in a class by learning media, social, everything, Bukhashem. The point is that he likes to dream that, you know, that he is living things. I think it's very normal for his age. The problem that we have now is planning for a very long time that he's making a play. And this uh, this idea he has since he was by the play in Tombeville. And everything was okay till now. It was a dream, and he tried uh, like to bring friends home to act and to to do everything. By now, it gets really, really serious. He has everything that needed for a play. He has actors. He has a boy for, to play. He has a show that he already he already asked permission for from the guy of the show. He has a date. He has tickets. All the boys in the class are walking through him, and I was in shock. He brought me home yesterday, like real tickets, printed out. I said, how could a boy your age, I'm talking about Kit Dalet, eight-year-old, can do it? He said, no, his mother did it for him. And what started yesterday, parents are calling me, like, if it's really happening, and he, in his mind, it's happening. He has a few boys coming, coming home, they are practicing everything. I'm also in shock, like how the boys are listening to him. He has also boys like 11 year old. Everyone is listening to him and everyone is following, following him. My question is, today I asked my, I told him it's, it's get serious. And what's going to happen by the date? He has a date. He, what's, I don't think it's something that can work out is he is too too young. If it would be eleven year old, I would let him try it and see what happens. But after all, I think he's very little for it. 
And my husband thinks, and I wanted, you know, to talk to him. I saw it serious. I wanted to explain him that we need to wait a few years, and maybe then something will see how it's going to work out. And my husband says, no, just let let him let him try to walk him up, to walk it out, and see. Let it let it run. And I don't know. It just can I. Can I phrase your question differently and tell me how this question will sound? I have a kid that has broken every level of expectation and a level that a children that a child his age would never be able to do. He's got kids three, four years older that to get an, a, an eight-year-old, to get an 11-year-old to participate in his play, for that to happen, and he got it. He got tickets. He arranged at eight years old a shul to happen. And that's amazing. Hold on, let me finish. He is able to get boys to come over to the house and practice and act, and it's happening. And now he's ready to make it work, and people say it won't happen, but I believe it will happen because he has broken every single, let's say, belief why people thought something will not happen, and it has happened. So don't you think my son will probably succeed? And to that I will say most definitely I believe he can. Okay, Let's stop. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's where within therapy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's where therapy, I take over. (laughs) Do you notice your negative view of how you're expecting him not to succeed from the first second you came on the line, but he's only eight and how will he ever make it? Why okay, aren't you okay, looking at it the other way? I, no, no, no. I'm not negative. I think that if he got <laughs> to this point, I will take a little bit of credit for myself also. No, hold on. We're we, not even at credit. Don't even are... go there. Don't go there yet. Let's first go this concept. What are the chances that if a boy, eight years old, has been able to get 11-year-old boys, everyone else, tickets, shul, everything should work out? What are the chances that this kid's play will work out to? Okay, let me ask you a question. What will happen? I, I was thinking, like, what's better? I should just uh, give him the... the Do you notice how you like taking over the show here? You know, if you're my client, boy, would this be a pleasure. I mean, <laughs> do you realize how I ask a question, and instead of me leading the show, you just take over and you ask your question. I would like you to no. answer my questions. If what are I the will, chances? I really, of- if I know that this can happen, I will really help him. Hold on, hold on, so let's stop a second, hold on, so now let me understand something, so you don't believe this will happen, but yet you want to take credit for it happening. let's say it's going to happen, he will have all the actors in the show, he will have uh, all the stuff that he needs here, because he asks for speakers and everything, and he will not have anyone come to to see the the Hold on, notice your fear, now let me ask you something, let me ask you something, let me ask you a question, based on your way of thinking, do you think at 8 years old you would have put together a play, you would have had girls 3 years old and then you come to the play, you would have had tickets printed out, you would have asked Agabe and Ashul to get the shul set up, do you think you would have had the lighting and, and the whole class playing, the answer is no. But a person that can do that will also figure out the smallest step on how to fill it up. Uh-huh. Yes, so, it's the negative pessimist people. Not that I'm calling you a pessimist, but those that don't believe in the outcome, that don't make it. Let me share with you two concepts. Do you know for thousands of years there was a belief that only wood can float? Metal and iron would never be able to float. And yet look at the huge aircraft carriers that we have. How many times do we have a concept the only thing that can fly is something like a bird where the wings go up and down? Metal should ever fly. Iron should fly. Look at the airplanes that we've got. 
the more we can start thinking out of the box. Let's not think why it shouldn't work. Let's think how it can work. We get there. Your eight-year-old boy has so far broken every single doubt that you have, and he's made it happen. If you ask I'm me... I you about the concept of thinking out of the box and thinking that things can walk out and push a child and, and give hold him... Hold on, who's pushing? We're talking about don't stop him. We're not, hold on, ma'am. We're not talking about... We're not proud, hold on. We're not talking about pushing your dreams onto him. We're talking no, no, about no, no, reinforcing wants, his dream. Yeah, well, you're not pushing Again, him. Mr. Weinberger, I want to ask you. Ask me, A please. child that came to this point, you think it's also the environment from the house, from the parents... You know what I mean? I'm going to be really it's blunt and honest. And I'm going to get a lot of flack. I don't believe it's your environment, your energy. Honestly, don't know. Your energy is every step of the way. Are you, how's it going to go? He is a leader. He is, but That's I right. And hold on. Are you? Do you parents. speak like a leader? Let's go. Let's recognize leaders aren't born. It's not just they're born. Leaders have a way of thinking. Do you think you think like a leader? I'm sorry, I don't even want to knock you down. I just want to get you to stop thinking like a leader so you can be a healthier parent. No, I don't think I don't think I'm a leader. That's Again, right. He has different he has this he has a different personality. The That's time. right. Now let me ask you, does he think like your husband? Is your husband that natural leader type? Yep. Exactly. So when it comes to guiding your son, what I'd ask you to do is to ask your husband for a little bit of advice how to learn natures. In my book, Alive, on chapter 6, I bring in 18 different natures. Why do I bring down the 18 natures? Because we have one nature, our children have different natures. In order for us to be machanach, our children, we need to be able to go out of our nature and understand their natures. You are given a gift that very few parents have. A child to do what your child has done. He should be blessed. He should be given brachas, and you should be, uh, I would recommend that you go for a little guidance, how to build him up, that you should be telling him, Yankee, of course you're going to succeed, and you should be going, Yankee, I'm going to call my friends, and I'm going to call Bobby and Zaidi, and I'm going to call all my sisters, and I'm going to call every kid's mother in there, that they should come, and they should have their parents come. The question that you have, how will it fill it up? If I would have a kid like that, I'll be going, let me help you fill it up. Let's sit down together and brainstorm. Let's have a meeting of all 15 boys. Let's get all the mothers together and say, how do we fill up this place? What a talent it is. Do you recognize that it won't be a question if your kid will fill it up? I see the success, and what I would do further is I would say, now this play, let's contact our yesh- the boys' yeshiva and say, let's make a play for the yeshiva talents of what our kids are doing. Let's get them not only have recognition within the family, but let's get the yeshiva to recognize it. Wow, they're going to camp. Let's get the camp to recognize that. Let's push our kids. This is actually what I was thinking. I asked my husband, maybe you should talk to the menial. They should do it here in the camp. But then he said, no, don't mix it together. And... Uh, all right, so let me tell you, your son is a leader. Very few children at eight years old that I've ever seen to have the power that you're describing that your son has got. And if you ask me... Yeah, if you, Sam, I know that I got Now, let me finish. I, I believe... I believe that if you will just not even get involved at all, he will fill it up a thousand percent. <laughs> That's my belief. And I wonder how it will go. I would ask you to... I'm calling you. Not to, because I wasn't sure that I'm right till now. I didn't say anything. I didn't say, like, I'm playing, like, yeah, it's going to work out. But I wasn't sure. I'm laughing and smiling from ear to ear. Let me tell you, enjoy. Sit there, kvel, and take nachas, and take also part of the credit for being such a good and loving mother that the kid has it. Because if you wouldn't be such a loving mother, and if your husband wouldn't be such a natural leader to allow him to do that, then he wouldn't be where he is. Because unfortunately, parents have the power to destroy 
destroy a kid and sounds like if he's so healthy, you must have done a great job as well. But in him being a leader, take some lessons from your husband, um, just how to Definitely. deal with his this nature. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Rav Nissen, we're it's now we're going to finish over here. We're just going to take one or two texts over here that says, you, I say that there are 18 natures, but in um, Dr. Adahan's book of awareness, there are nine natures exactly. And based on her book, it's based on Enneagrams, I've made 18 natures, and I'm working on my second book, Merit Hashem, which will take each of the 18 natures, take them through different ages, through childhood, what they're like, what they're like in the teenage years, what type of jobs they'll be good at, and how they will be in the marriage. But, yep, in my book, there are 18 natures. The book is called Alive, a 10-step guide to a vibrant life, written by your host, humbly, Mordechai Weinberger. I um, want to thank you all for listening, for calling in. Harav Nissen, what a beautiful show. Thank you once again. Thank you very again. <laughs> thank you for the beautiful shows. And thank you to our dear listeners. And apologize that we cannot get any more phone calls. You're right. We've got all the lines are full. And we're going to be finishing today a little bit earlier. Today we'll be doing for the hour and a half program. Thank you all. And have a great night.